You are listening to the Root Simple Podcast. On this episode of the Root Simple Podcast, Kelly and I speak with garden nerd Christy Wellhelmy about everything from jicama to bees to climate change. Before we get to the interview, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers, Robert G, Anne F, Dan F, Heather E, Lynn G, K, Scott G, Kellyan, Stephanie L, Erica R, Kelton M, Kyle P, Nicholas H, David and Sandy S, Eric of Garden Fork, and supporters Michael W, Johnny S, Dutch Girl, Mary H, Stephen T, Brad and Stacy, and Johan. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. And now, our conversation with Christy Wilhelmy. Christy is here. I'm chatting. Hi. We're chatting. Hello, Christy. Hello. This is the third time, I think. Yeah, it is. You've been on the podcast. Last time you had a book Yeah. Out. 400 plus tips for organic gardening success. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so before we were talking, we just were talking about chip drop. Yes, we were. We were talking about chip drop. Why don't we just start with chip drop? Because sure. I've been curious about it. What What is chip drop? So and chip drop, I, I'm not doing a commercial for chip drop. I'm just... You, you don't work for chip I, drop. Exactly. And I just hit the mic stand. So chipdrop.in, as in industry, uh, is a website you can go to and register your name on it, a list. And you can designate what types of mulch you want to get, or more or less what you won't accept, because they have a checkbox for, will you accept logs? <laughs> will you accept some logs? <laughs> and things like why, why would you accept logs. a log? I, bet, I guess some people, I, I think if anybody was doing uh, mushroom oh, raising, and if you got non-aromatic woods that or hardwoods, right, right. you would have some pretty nice mushroom logs. Or firewood, there. I guess, right? Yeah, or firewood yeah. if you wanted to do right. some log splitting and have a firewood thing. Or mm -hmm. do some hugel culture. You could oh, you yeah. would want logs for that. Right. So they, you know, you can also fill in a, a comment box at the bottom for any specific types of tree stuff you wouldn't want. So, but they don't tell you how much is going to arrive or when it's going to arrive. You just get this ping email 48 hours prior that says your chip drop delivery is coming and you pull your car out of your driveway and they'll dump. It's basically tree trimmers who are being hooked up directly to the consumer. Instead of paying a dumping fee at the landfill, they're getting mulch to where it needs to go, which is fantastic because everybody wants free mulch, right? Right. Right. So, uh, I took delivery of a truckload that was much larger than I could accept. <laughs> uh, we can absorb 17 cubic yards of mulch in my yard, which is a lot. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. I mean, 10 yards is a lot. 17 is way more than most people. And they brought probably 22. Wow. It was a big truck. And it's so wide it wouldn't fit on our driveway, which is fairly narrow, but they had to dump it mostly in the street. And we got some on the driveway and some in the street, and then... We basically put – we have a system to distribute mulch in our yard, and I'll share this with everybody listening because it's genius. <laughs> and that is we take all of our trash bins. We make sure that they're empty on trash day before the delivery is coming. Oh. All right? And because they're on wheels, oh, they right. tip over nicely, and they hold 90 gallons. So you can – 
You tip over the bin, you shovel all kinds of mulch into it, you pick it up, you wheel it into wherever the backyard is or wherever you're going with it, and then you dump it over and spread it out. And so we've generally hired a couple of day labor people for help, Mm -hmm. and it will take five hours or so to spread it all out in the backyard. And then whatever was left... We put it up on Facebook. I have, you know, gardening groups on Facebook or FreeCycle or Craigslist or whatever. And people show up with their cars and shovels and bring, you know, bring containers and take as much as they want. And it's free. Hmm. So, yeah, you can drive to the free city mulch places. And that stuff often smells very anaerobic to me. Kind of ammonia. Right. Strong Mm -hmm. and ammonia. Um, and, And that's fine for non-edible areas, but this stuff that comes from chip drop is just chipped up trees. So Mm. it's really high quality and they specify that they don't bring you anything that's diseased. So why the heck not? How long did you have to wait between when you signed up and that showed up finally? That is a good question. I had not, I did not have to wait very long. I think it was a week or two, Uh, but I had a client who signed up for it and they never got back to them. And my brother signed up, and I think he waited five weeks or something like that. So it's it's a real crapshoot. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Now, yeah. is it everywhere or just it's, L.A.? It's in L.A. I don't know if it's mm. everywhere. I don't. I, I guess that's something I should know. We can look that. We can Google we that, can that later, up. right? Yeah. But I don't know. But it is in L.A. It's like the Uber of mulch, then. It really is because hmm. it shows up at your door. That's good. It's pretty well, awesome. It was quality, so yeah. There's that. So you must have had a few frantic hours trying to get it out of the street. Oh my God. Yes. And, and it was over the holidays. So we were, (laughs) like I said, we had, uh, we had people shoveling mulch out of, out of, uh, this pile in front of our house on Christmas day. Oh, And they was like presents, you know, cause they, they were coming back two and three times to fill up. So we were happy to see it go. Hmm. And we live in a neighborhood where people are happy to get free things off the street. That's good. <laughs> so if you live in a place where it's frowned upon or if you're in an HOA, that might be an issue. Yeah, right. Uh, but for where I live, like, we don't even have sidewalks, so. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, well, what, uh, well, I've got, <laughs> I'm I'm mumbling here like an idiot. So uh, we were also, actually, we're, you're working you're working on a little library, too. This is kind of exciting. Right. Which is, what? what's a little library? The free little library. Speaking of free, this is our theme today, I guess. Free. Um, the free little library is, uh, it's a nonprofit organization that started, I forget when. And I wrote about this. I did blog about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should remember what Somewhere, I Somewhere, someplace. Yeah. And it's been in existence for many years. And the idea is that you build a little, little house and you put it up on a post out in front of your house, and you put books in it. And people come by, and they can take a book or leave a book. And so when you're done reading something, you put it out for someone else to, to get. And it's, it's a, a way to exchange free books. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a cool thing. So a lot of organizations, like I've seen there's a church nearby me that has one out in front of their house. I have a lot of friends with them out in front of their house. Um, Mine will be full of gardening books, obviously. <laughs> uh, and you said you had... There's a neighbor with a neighbor. one. Yeah. yeah. And you said the turnover's pretty good? Turnover's amazing. That and is it's good. It's an incredible amount of books Have in there. Have you taken anything from them? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's cool. Definitely. I put a lot of books in there, too. Yeah, I'm mostly depositing. 
Right. And what, what's funny about that, of course, is that other people in the neighborhood, will, if they know you, they ask, oh, that must be so-and-so's books, mm-hmm. judging from their interests. So yes. that's another funny part of it. But uh, but yeah, it's been very successful. Yeah. Now, you, you get, I, I saw on your website, you got some plans, or is that how it works? Or how does well, the actual box work? You can buy plans. You can also buy a kit and mm. make it yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy one that's already made. And mm. I was in a place where I needed to splurge and treat myself and buy something frivolous. So I bought the smallest prefab, pre-made little free library I could get. Nice. And it's tiny, but it's going to fit probably seven or eight, maybe ten books. Mm-hmm. It'll be good, which is enough. Don't want it to get overcrowded. <laughs> stale books. Nobody likes stale books. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's just the right size. And I have been a big fan of a quote from Cicero that says, if you have a garden and a library, you have everything you need, mm-hmm. which there is so know. true. Right. And I had my sister-in-law, who is a fantastic calligrapher and artist, uh, she wrote that quote across the front frame of the door. So nice. the message is out in front um, there for everyone. And I painted it the same color as my house. Nice. So it's going to be cute. Well, tell me about your neighborhood, actually. You're in, you're in West L.A. I'm in Mar Vista. For people listening to this, what, what kind of neighborhood is Mar it? Mar Vista is a wonderful community. And I used to drive through it to get to my community garden at Ocean View Farms, uh, which is less than a mile away from my house for those stalking me. Anyway, um, <laughs> So the the neighborhood is mostly ranch style houses that are all being torn down and giant giant ugly boxes are being put up in their place. But for the most part, it's a community of people who are really interested in sharing and very environmentally conscious and it's it's a cool it's a cool neighborhood. I really so, like living there. So the little library is not going to cause a freak out cuz no, some, some neighborhoods I, it would, yeah, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be upsetting anyone and I've already broken in my neighbors with my front yard full of fruit trees, so there's not much further I could push. Well, let's well you know, let's talk about that. Set the scene. Your your front front yard full of fruit trees. I remember last time I was there. Yes, yes indeed. So. so we have we have a lemon. Uh, we have a Meyer lemon and navel orange. A uh, we pulled out the kumquat because my husband got sick of them, and I don't like kumquats. So oh. who needs kumquats? Because you can only make so much kumquat jam, really. That, yeah. Marmalade. And then uh, we put in a tangerine instead. And then we have a Santa Rosa plum and an, a Snow Queen nectarine that I bought bare root and is leafing out for the second year. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Uh, those are in the front yard, uh, along with a bunch of native California plants and drought-tolerant plants. And then... The backyard is pretty much all mulch, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have raised beds, we keep chickens, and we have bees. Bees, right, Except, and you do bee rescues, yeah. right? Yeah, well, so. I seem to be lately. They flew, we had three swarms fly into the tree above our office, so we climbed up on the roof and put them in a swarm box and mm-hmm. gave them to friends. Mm. That was recent. And then our bees just absconded. <laughs> so, oh, no. <laughs> there was a message for... in that, I'm sure. It was like, you know, you should have kept one of those for yourself. Right. But I don't know what... We haven't gotten in there with someone of expert skill set to dis- discern what has happened. Uh, but we'll get in there hopefully next week and find out what's going on. Right. You have seeds coming from yeah. the Honey Love organization. Yeah. 
So how do you do your bee swarm rescue for people who don't know? Well, we have goes. a swarm box that mm-hmm. uh, is, it's 40 liters. Is that what the 40? And one of those, like this. Yeah, it's about 20 by 10. Yeah, <clears> one of those things. Cardboard. And it's actually, ours That's is wood. wood. Oh, you have wood. wood ours ones. is wood yeah. and it has a lid and it has... A, sh- uh, a what do you call that? It's not a cleat, but maybe it is a cleat for putting five frames in. Mm-hmm. It fits six actually, uh, and the opening ha- is a circle that's about an inch and a half in diameter, and you're supposed to put a couple of Q-tips with lemongrass oil in the back because that mimics the queen's pheromones. Mm-hmm. And we actually have lemongrass, so I crumple up a piece of lemongrass and tuck it under one of the frames in the back of the box, opposite the entrance. And it attracts swarms. Although we did not have the swarm box in place when the swarms arrived, so we had to move them. They hung in the tree. They were bearding in the tree. Right. And we moved them to the swarm box from the tree. But right now, the swarm box is up there in case we get a fourth. Right. Now, how do you move a swarm into a box? You dress appropriately, first of all. <laughs> and they're, to, be, to be fair, they are the least aggressive when they are swarming because they have no hive to protect. They are only hanging around for the queen. And so I've seen people rescue swarms without any protection whatsoever, but these are professionals. Do not try this at home. So we gear up in our bee suits and gloves and veils. And we, we used a little bit of smoke, but we really don't, you really don't need smoke when you're rescuing a swarm. Mm-hmm. And we clipped the branch that they were hanging on to. And what's the word? Dropped it. Dropped it or into the gently box. Gently laid sort of bang it, I guess. Into or the, banged tap, it, right, Tap right, it. That's right. it. Yep. Tap it into the box. Mm-hmm. And they all fall off into the box. And then they start flying around freakishly going, what's going on? And then... You sort of step away and let them find their way back. And, you know, there, there will be clusters here and there gathering, and you just sort of keep scooping them up and moving them to the box. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we've done. I've rescued a swarm off of a hot tub siding mm-hmm. before, and uh, two in the tree, and one, the third swarm in our backyard clustered on the roof, just on the ground, oh, wow. of, on the roof of the, it was a skylight. Mm-hmm. And it was just... We just kept scooping. Huh. We just, you know, picked up a few pieces of whatever it was on. It was on a, a brick and a piece of wood, and, and we were scooping. They do like the hot tubs. I don't know if that's they, a yeah, California know. thing or what. But Where if they can get underneath, it's cavernous. Yeah, and right, safe, right. You know? Right. In the mechanism part, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Or in the, so they were in the, the tub part? Well, they were on, they were on the outside. On the outside. Uh-huh. But apparently, they had some of them had gone inside and we missed that. And so two weeks later my friend was like, The swarm is back. I'm like, How can this be? And so they there were um, some that remained and they'd started drawing comb wow. inside the the works of the hot tub. Oh, we, I said, I can't I can't help you with this one. You need to call a professional. Oh <laughs> so, cut out thing, yeah. That was a thing. Right, right, right. So amateurs like me can handle things on a very small scale that are not, you know, like I would never do a cutout. I would never Mm. cut open someone's house and take a, take a comb out of the wall, but I would refer to them to somebody who does that professionally. Yeah. There you go. Cause it makes a mess. Yeah. And And it costs money. It does. And it <laughs> takes all day. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So yeah. No. Yeah. No. So you have two hives. We have two. I always keep two. 
That's nice. Just in case one craps out. Yeah. Yeah. So we wanted a second one, but the first swarm we had for about a week before we brought it to their new home, and our bees got really upset about it. About having the one next door. They did not like it. Oh. They were they were charging me in the garden. I couldn't oh. garden around hmm. this time around like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. I couldn't be outside. So we got rid of the second swarm and they calmed right That's back interesting. down. Interesting. Yeah, it was weird. Well, weren't you at that Mikhail Teal thing with Mikhail me? Mikhail Teal. The yeah. bee the bee whisperer. His biodynamic kind of beekeeping giant. class. Right, because he talked about it. He doesn't like to put them close together, I know. Right. Disease travels laterally very quickly. So mm. if you have hives right next to each other, he had recommended having them at least five feet apart. Because hmm. if there's one gets infested with something, it moves sideways pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, both so. Yeah, but he's he is a bee whisperer. I mean, he's, granted, he's from up north where they have much calmer bees. <laughs> yeah, there's They're that. not like Los Angeles bees. Um, you know, aggressive mafia bees. But they, you know, he's out there checking bees without smoke, without yeah. any kind of covering, any protection whatsoever. And he right. just sort of zones into their aura. And the <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to watch. It it's is quite remarkable. It was a fun, uh, fun afternoon yeah. with him. Uh, in the interest of totally random transitions. Yes, because we can do that. Celeriac. 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 Let's say that three times. Celeriac. 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 Yeah. It is... You grew it this year. so delicious. Yeah? Yeah. So celeriac grows like celery, but it's grown... It's kind of like how chard and beets are in the same family, but beets were developed for the bulb, for for the root, and the chard was developed for the leaf. Celery and celeriac are similar in that way. And celeriac will develop this gigantic kind of five or six inch diameter gnarly root that looks like you could be afraid of it. You could carve a face into it, I mm-hmm. think, easily. Um, you know, who people who do that with apples. Right. <laughs> it has <laughs> a kind of Halloween vibe, right? Faces. Yeah. Celeriac is, has the celery flavor, but it's bigger. And you can make a soup out of it, which I did. And that that's on... Garden nerd. Right. There's a blog post. I post. I did post about celeriac soup. And it's super easy. And you can also, you know, cut it in chunks and saute it and, you know, do the potato-like thing with it. And it it um, cooks up really nicely. And you can mash it. Oh, yeah. I did a celeriac mash, like mashed potatoes, with dill. Hmm. So good. Wow. And really simple, too. Huh. You just boil it like potatoes in water, drain off the water, Get a stick puree or thingy, or if you want to do the old-fashioned potato masher, you can do that. Puree it and mm. mix in like a quarter cup of dill or something like that. It's fantastic. Wow. That salt. That's great. Don't so people should salt. grow it? It was pretty easy to grow? It was really easy to grow. And I grow it over fall, through winter, over winter, you know? So plant it in fall. It grows and then harvest in early spring. And it's... Cool season. Yeah. Right. Wow. Anything else in the garden this winter or this summer that you're growing that you're excited about? I'm, oh, I'm excited about a few things. I'm growing loofah for oh, the loofah. first time. Oh, loofah. We did that. I tried growing loofah before, but it died. And now I'm I'm determined to make... That was a dog. That's Nobody a dog. farted here. That right. was a dog. All right. Um, Kelly's in the background here. That was Kelly, but the dog went, and it sounded like a... Like a fart. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> in case you want to edit that out. Um, <laughs> Probably should leave that in. I but think so. Anyways. Uh, so, Lufa. Lufa. I'm also growing jicama for the first time, which I've oh. only planted the seeds recently. So, they're going to take 14 days to germinate. But you soak them for 24 hours and then plant them. And fingers crossed, I'll have jicama. Do you like jicama? I love jicama. Really? How do you not like jicama? I kind of like jicama, but Kelly, are you... You want to step Are on the mic? I know you're ever? you're a Hickama hater, right? Really? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. All right, we're gonna get Kelly in let's here. Let's pull Kelly into this conversation. All right. <laughs> Tell us why you don't like Hickama. Kelly. Tell, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, the chair here. Can you scoot over? Defend yeah. your position. I don't like being put in the position of the Hickama hater here oh, in no. the crowd. I'm, I was just, I was making a face though, because I was surprised that Eric didn't, um, doesn't like Hickama more because he loves um, Asian pears, which oh. are like the jicama. sweeter version the of sweeter Hickama. Ver- yeah, yeah. And which I don't like that. I, I don't like Asian pears because I think they're like so much cardboard. Oh. You know, um, I mean, I've had one or two good ones in my life where I can see what their appeal is, but generally not fond of the Asian pears. And the jicama is, yeah, the savory version of them. But Eric loves cr- crunchy, white, watery things in general. Yeah. And so um, why don't you like... I, I mean, I think jicama, if someone else will cut it up and put it with a creamy dip, I'll eat it happily. But I'm not going to go through the trouble of keeping it around and fighting with it. Oh, I just love squeezing lime on it. It's so good that way. Oh, yeah. Yes, jicama with lime. Simple, what, straightforward. What does the rest of the plant look like? I don't think I've ever seen one. I, you know, it's a vine that can get pretty long, and so I'm going to trellis the vines. But the tuber is underground, like oh. a giant top-sized looking potato. Kind oh, yeah. Of thing. And huh. it's, uh, so I'm, I'm not sure. It's in the same bed that my sweet, my sweet potatoes keep volunteering back every year. So it's going to share space with that. And of course, my blackberries keep coming up in the same bed too because they're, oh, they're like five or six feet away from there, but they keep running into that bed because it's getting watered. So it's going to be a jungle. But I, I keep pulling out the the, the caneberry runners whenever huh. I get a chance. I tried that. The blackberries were planted in a pot. That's how I started it from hmm. a cutting from my neighbor's plot at Ocean View Farms, organic community garden. I brought it home, put it in a pot. It died back, but then the runners came up and went down through the drainage hole and now are everywhere in my yard. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh. Free produce. So wait, jicama, the blackberry, what was the other? Oh, oh the loofah, right? Loofah yeah. and jicama. And then I'm, I'm also, what am I doing? I'm doing, oh, I'm excited to be growing Styrian hullus pumpkins this year. Styrian hullus pumpkins? Yeah, so the seeds are hullus. Oh, hullus. Hullus, yeah. Ah. And they are perfect for pressing for oil. Oh. Which I am trying to venture into. Do you have an oil press? I do not, but I'm going to get one. There's the little ones that what's-his-name yeah. has, right? There, There's a $100 one that's from a company in Switzerland or Germany. I can't remember. I right. should know more I when think, we well, talk. No, that's okay. Yeah. We can, people can, uh, Google's yeah, I Google so. it. Everyone Google it. But it's it. red. I'll put it in the show notes, Sarah. That's, that's <laughs> kind of lazy. We'll put it in the show okay, notes. Great. But I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, you know? and it's, um, it's something that was introduced to me. I went, actually, I went to Monticello oh. uh, last year for the... Um, for the summer fest, the Harvest Festival oh, yeah. in uh, Virginia. And I took a class from Chris Smith of So True Seeds, and he talked about 
pressing edible oils. And he, like me, has the zombie apocalypse theory. That, I was going to bring up the zombie apocalypse yeah. because pressing oil right. is in that category, right? Exactly. You want to huh. be ready for everything. Right. And self-reliant as possible. So the, uh, he, got, he brought a bunch of different oils to the class. And there was you know sunflower and, and uh, he did okra. He pressed the okra seeds. Huh. That oil is not something I really taste like. I, I didn't enjoy the taste, it's... but he's a huge okra fan. In fact, he's writing a book about okra called "In Defense of Okra," <laughs> and because he's he's a uh, British and he has he's like someone has to champion your your okra, you know. So he's like, you know, he's got that. It's true. It's a beautiful thing. plant. It is. We've and grown it, and yeah, he's figured out how to use the seed. You know, every every single part of the plant he has a use for. And um, so that's what his book will be about. And he's trialing 50 different varieties, which is cool. But the oil that he pressed from Hollis pumpkin seeds was delicious. And I was sold. And I'm like, I'm going to grow these pumpkins now. Huh. And then get the press. (laughs) But doesn't it take a lot, though? Yeah, it can. But you process it, you know, in small batches and keep it in the fridge. So I figure I'd use it for topping you know right. salads or something let's see what other crazy things am i growing right now yeah what else are you growing growing sweet corn that's not crazy peppers not what crazy. kind of tomatoes i have 14 different kinds i'm growing this season 14 yeah it's all i have room for i have seeds huh. for 45 but i don't have the room so i had to choose but i always do stew peach which is a czech republic tomato i like um I'm doing Yellow Perfection, which I haven't grown in a long time, and I have to brag for a second and say that I germinated seeds. They're 18 years old. Oh, wow. It's an 18-year-old seed wow. packet. And it's, you know, it's all about proper seed storage because that, that's, you know. Well, what's proper seed storage? Proper then? seed storage is cool, dark, and dry. Cool, dark, and dry. And okay. for me, that's in the refrigerator with desiccant packets oh. in a lock-lidded jar. Hmm. Yeah. Well, 18 years. 18 years. Yeah, the stamp on the back said packaged for 2000. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty cool. So, Yellow Perfection. I like Azoichka, which is an, another Czech or, you know, Russian type of, um, it's a yellow beefsteak tomato. It's gorgeous. Gets green mm. shoulders. Really pretty. And I'm very excited about Tess's Land Race. Have you heard about this? No. Tess's Landrace tomato. This woman named Tess walked up and gave me some seeds, and I thought they were hers. But then I found them, Then I they were listed in the Baker Creek Seed Catalog the next year, and I thought, did Tess give these to them, or is this like some other Tess? I have no idea. But it's a current tomato, so it makes tiny, tiny little mm-hmm. tomatoes. And the plant looks like it's dying all the time. But huh. it produces like crazy. Huh. So I was, I'd gotten over the fact that it's aesthetically displeasing, and I'm just... Uh, growing yeah, it. Right. Uh, and I've got uh, so many others. Tigerella. I'm resurrecting that one from the grave because I used to grow that one a long time ago, but haven't in a while. Uh, I love yellow pear. I have black cherry. I've got um, Jeune Flamme. That's one of my favorites. And, uh, uh, you know, those are uh, kind of those. Yeah. Those are my cool. favorites. Yeah. <clears throat> Kelly, you have any. Gardening questions? <laughs> no? All right. 
Um, squirrels? We, we, you know, we've. I think I asked you about squirrels the last time you were on here, but I want to follow up on it because you were testing the spray stuff. Oh, yeah. So I used the squirrel stopper. Yeah. Which is a blend of cinnamon and clove oils on my loquat tree. I sprayed it around the leaves, not on the fruit itself. And mm-hmm. the squirrels stayed away from it. Hmm. So it was pretty cool. I know that the reviews of the product very are mixed because I looked yeah it up. they're very yeah, mixed right, but uh, it worked in my squirrels, huh? So I recommend it to people and say if you have the kind of squirrels, the disposition of squirrel that I have, it will work. <laughs> there are other squirrels who just don't give a crap, you know? right? Right, and they'll with they'll endure anything. Right, it probably depends on how get on the mic. Going. Yeah, it probably depends on how desperate the squirrels are. I think you know, so. like they have a lot of options in L.A., especially yeah, you know, especially at this time of year and through the summer, uh-huh. you know. So they'd be like, "Eh, this smells not so great. I'll go over there." Right, but yeah, if they didn't have anything else, I'm sure they would plow through the cinnamon <laughs> to get to the low quads. Yeah, and I I try and get people to put out a water source for wildlife because that's. Usually what they're going for in the fruits is the liquids. Mm. They're, they're thirsty. So if you put out a little bird bath or something where the wildlife can drink something, they'll go to that. Uh, well, back, let's back up a second, though, because you mentioned loquats. People listening to this who aren't in L.A. might oh. not know what a loquat is. Loquats, Just- they're a Mexico native fruit. That many houses around in your neighborhood here have as street Crazy trees. Crazy deep in low quads here. Yeah, yes. it's insane. And they're, they're something you'll never see in grocery stores because they do not travel well, period. And so they bruise like on a bike ride. You know, in five minutes they'll be bruised. And so it's best to have one yourself. And they have this beautiful tropical foliage, kind of a, you know, pleated leaf that is reminiscent of... Dull, crumply avocado leaf, if I can. Or, you know, some kind of, I don't even know what to equate it to. But it's gorgeous mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're into that kind of thing. And the fruit grows in clusters, and they're yellowish peach. And the flavor, to me, is sort of strawberry citrus peachy, I guess. I don't know. Mm. What would you say? Well, uh, Kelly? Hmm. I'm a loquat connoisseur because we don't have our own loquat, but as you say, our neighborhood is rich in loquats, and a lot of them are parkway trees. And um, so I feel (laughs) empowered to pick loquats everywhere I go. And when I'm walking the dog, and this is – we're just finishing up our loquat season, so all season long – I've been I've been nibbling on loquats from different people's trees, and there is a there is a huge uh, variation of flavor and sweetness. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of that is variety and how much of that is culture. You know, there are so I'll, I'll have my favorite trees for the year. I'll be like, well, this is a good one, yeah. <laughs> and I'll go by over. And they, the sizes of the fruits even vary from being like some of them. Um, I think maybe the more stressed trees are only about as big as a cherry, mm-hmm. whereas uh, the large ones are like. Um, like smallish apricots. Right, yeah. They look a lot so like a small apricot, I think, on the tree. Like if you saw it and you've never seen one before, you'd be like, is that an apricot? Because they're golden and a little bit fuzzy. Yeah. Um, but they're, um, yeah, they're, they are, yeah, they, I eat them as I pick them because, yeah, if I put them in my pocket and take them home, they're uh-huh. kind of gross. <laughs> they're so, and they have these beautiful seeds inside, which yeah, I love. Yeah, they're iridescent. They're almost like tiger's eye. Yeah, there's always, yeah, usually there's three, and they're, they're so beautiful, you want to make jewelry out of them. Mm-hmm. 
Instead, I spit them on people's that? lawns to uh, interfere with their um, lawnmower equipment. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you see people toss the seeds, and so loquats pop up everywhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and they're not a grafted tree, so they grow, they, they produce true to type. You know, they'll grow up just yeah. like they, their babies, I mean, their parents. Um, and the you now, do you peel your loquats when you eat them? Cause oh, no. I'm eating dirty L.A. loquats. <laughs> I just sort of I rub them a little bit um, and between my hands. I don't know why. And, and um, the, the fuzz kind of comes off. Oh. And then uh, maybe some of the smog. And then I just pop them in my mouth. Uh-huh. Yeah, they don't, they don't last I long. I peel them. I don't like peel the, them? I don't like the fuzz. Some of them have – I've noticed that some of them have kind of tough peels. Yeah. But a lot of them don't. I mean, they're so, they are, they are a mystery, an endless mystery. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those local delights that we have. Yeah. Peeling them is a good idea though, because you're right. The skin's kind of, I don't know, kind of a lot of skin to fruit ratio, yeah. I guess. Right? And the flavor is much more pure when you do. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but they're like, um, they're so delicate. Like skinning them is not easy. It's like skinning a grape it or is. a lychee or something. It's ridiculous because yeah. they're very soft inside. They are not like a fleshed fruit really. That's why you can't make jam out of them. Yeah, although uh, people have made liquor out of them. Yeah, I have a friend who yeah, has made gumquat. I mean, sorry, loquat, loquat jam. Really? She's um, she's a big jammer. Hmm. It yeah. Seems like it would be hard. Uh, our friend no Colin body. made it. It, it. it was okay. You know, there's such a delicate flavor, and there's no body to the flesh. Right. I don't know. That'd be that exciting. Yeah. I, 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 I poop through oh. this process. <laughs> Just eat them fresh, for God's sake. Just eat sake. them fresh, yeah. All right. So uh, we have been talking for a half hour. So is there anything... Uh, would the people have reached their destination, as my friend Eric would say. Right. They're listening to this while they're commuting. Uh, uh-huh. But um, anyways, um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that's exciting right now? Like Exciting right now. Aquaponics. Oh I saw aquaponics on your blog. Well, but I, someone did a guest, blog guest post, post for right? Me. Yeah. Have you thought about doing that? Or? I'm not because I'm not a tilapia. I don't eat fish, so oh, someone well, else would have to right. deal with that, and that's not my bailiwick. That doesn't make sense then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I think the, the main thing, well, what I can talk about is uh, the, the thing that's getting me excited right now is Los Angeles is the flagship city for the climate emergency mobilization uh, movement. And I was just at City Hall the other day, and I'm going back tomorrow to try and move forward or help move forward some funding for this department to form hmm. that will it's, – it's basically a World War II-style action plan that will, you know, get us to stop putting carbon in the sky and and start sequestering it in our soils and uh, drawing down the carbon that we have. And I'm excited about it because that is exciting. we have to do it. <laughs> so what sort of, I mean, maybe it's too early to, to say, but what sort of specific things are they talking about? You mentioned carbon sequestration. Right. But so what, what other things are they talking about? They're, well, from every angle, from transportation, from infrastructure, and from my, my angle is the agricultural angle and the home, the home owner angle, which is reviving the Victory Garden program. Oh, you know, remember the Victory yeah, Garden program right, right. In, in the forties? Forty percent of America was growing. Well, more than no, it was it was um, forty million Americans were growing forty percent of their food in their own backyards, and it was mandated. You know, that was the way to be patriotic and and all of that. And so we need to do it again as part of saving the planet. And and it needs to happen now rather than later. 
because it's only getting hotter and the carbon uh, numbers are ticking up. So the idea of switching all agriculture to no-till and growing our own food in a way that pulls carbon out of the sky and sequesters it in the soil, uh, like growing car cover crops and, and um, leguminous crops and things that actually grab grab stuff out of the out of the atmosphere, pull it into the to the ground. So that's exciting to me. And yeah. uh, so far, I well, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't have all the information, and I'll sure. sound like a fool when this right. airs. Uh, but there's there's a group of people working on ironing out the details, and I just hope that everyone in Los Angeles will will just do what's needed to get on board with this with this idea because it's it's really detrimental if we don't. Yeah, now how do you know how people can get involved? We can put the link in the show notes, but Sure. Uh, uh it's a climate mobilization uh and then LA has its own website and right now it's sort of a landing page where you can sign up if you're interested. Huh. Uh so it's it's just we're just getting the funding for the department and I'm not sure who exactly is going to be in the department, but the people I met with on Wednesday were, I'm sure, probably going to be part of it. Okay. So, so that was wow. that was the thing. That's exciting. Yeah, I know it's very exciting because we have to do something. We can't just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> will you know these like city council people actually do the things? Right. That's what I wonder about. <clears throat> and right. Because that's, that's the thing. My my goal for going was to to share with everybody that we have all of these existing organizations who are already doing the kind of work, at least the Victory Garden piece. They're already doing the work. It just needs to be overseen by one division that will make this, you know, push this movement forward in an aggressive, I don't want to say aggressive, but in a in a fast moving assertive way. So that everyone's on the same page and that funding is provided for it. Because, you know, these guys are all individual organizations trying to get funding for their own purposes. But if, if it's coming from a, a city council level and a mandate that gets everybody working together, I think we could really make some waves here. Well, and the thing I can think of right now is that to have the expertise from people like you... Uh, maybe we can avoid, because Kelly and I were just talking about the horrendous lawn replacement program that happened The turf here. removal rebate turf program. Removal, and what oh. a disaster that was. Well, uh, it was a disaster because some people capitalized on it right. in a really bad way, and it turned into moonscaping and landscape fabric and gravel and all kinds of stuff. But yep. they've re reinitiated the turf removal rebate program. Oh, yeah. And they've taken off artificial turf, which makes me very happy oh, because yeah. artificial turf is a carbon sink. I mean, it's a, not a carbon sink. It's a heat sink. Mm -hmm. It's synthetic. It yeah. kills all the soil microbes, which help sequester carbon in right. the soil anyway. Right, right, right. And, and it doesn't have a means by which to become sanitized. So grass has its own ecosystem where microbes are crawling all over the place and they eat the, the poop that the dogs, uh, you know, the, the feces that are on the lawn. And if you have a synthetic lawn, that's still happening, but the microbes aren't cleaning it up. So it's I mean, nobody's going to wash their lawn with Lysol. So it's one mm. of those things. Mm. That's Dick Kelly, you want to say something? Should I tell the story about oh, the artificial do. lawn in our neighborhood? Oh, please. It's just, it's just making me laugh that you bring this up because just the other day. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was two days ago now. Uh, the, we, have a, there, we have a very 
pristine artificial lawn in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God bless them. You know, we like them, the people who have that lawn. So I hope they don't <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> but it's like they have a very pristine, perfect front yard because they have this, like, artificial carpet in the front. And um, I'm walking past it yesterday, two days ago, and I see this giant – I think it's a worm on the lawn. Like, oh. I, I'm like – I was like, what is that? That's a, it looks like the world's hugest worm, you know? And then I'm like, wait a minute. No, that's not a worm. It's – it's an intestine. Oh my god! And it was a perfect. I had took a picture of it. Actually, it was a perfect length of intestine. Wow! You know, maybe three feet long, a little bit fatter than a pencil, <gasps> stretched out completely straight on this artificial turf, and nothing else anywhere. I found. I looked close and saw one little like gray piece of fluff, but there were no other parts oh. or anything. And I was like, oh dear, <laughs> this was a snack station for some creature that, in the night. Yeah. Some hawk or whatever. Or a coyote. Yeah, we have a lot right. in this neighborhood. Coyotes, yeah. um, and you know, the victim by the size of the intestine was a cat or a mm. possum or a, maybe a, a small raccoon. Um, and uh, it's like, oh. And, and then, I was, then I was thinking, and, and, and that, that intestine has stayed there. Right. So as the days go, as the time goes by, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't want to be the person who has to clean that thing up. That's right. just nasty. And the days have been going by, and then the intestine moves. Like, I think sometimes <laughs> dogs get it or whatever, and it gets dragged about. But it's still there. And I was like, people, if you had lawn. a lawn or some mulch, the microbes would take care of that. The yeah. ants and the microbes and everything, the you know, the little bugs, that system would take care of that. I mean, you might be the kind of person who wants to take care of it yourself a little quicker, but personally, me, if nobody could see it, I would just leave it. I would kick some mulch over it. <laughs> kick some mulch like, over it and let done. nature eat it. You yeah. know, let it just let it return to the earth, you know? And exactly. That poor little intestine is just still it's I just saw it when I came home tonight and I'm like, there it is the eternal intestine on the eternal <laughs> lawn. So let that be a lesson to you. Nature takes care of stuff. Yeah, you know, so if you will let it take care of stuff, it'll take care of you. Exactly. Keep nature in place so that it can do the work. That sounds like a great place to conclude. Now, so um, blog, podcast, please, book. You can find everything at gardennerd.com, G-A-R-D-E-N-E-R-D.com. And I have a blog a YouTube channel, a Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, and um, lots, I mean, just, well, 11 years of pod, of uh, blogging, 10 years of podcasts, and uh, just a ton of information available for free. There's a search box. You can look it up. And if you can't find what you want, you can email a question into Ask Garden Nerd, and I choose a question usually once a week and post an answer on the blog. And the YouTube channel, if I didn't mention that already. Mm, okay. We just passed 9,000 followers, so I'm going oh, for 10 fantastic. so I can use the, the yes. creator space. Right. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I have two books, Gardening for Geeks and uh, 400 Plus Tips for Organic Gardening Success. And I'm working on a novel that oh, I'm finishing up. That's garden-related or not? It is. It's no. set in a community garden. Oh. <laughs> in Los Angeles, I'm just saying. No, I want to dig, but right you know. maybe Yes, right what you know. Is this secret the plot? It's or? uh I'm I'm not no? going to share okay. right All now, right. but mystery? I'll come back and talk about Mis- it. Mur- yeah, murder mystery. Murder mystery. <laughs> Everyone wants it to be a murder mystery. It is not. <laughs> uh, <Erotica>. Wait. <laughs> It's oh, hilarious. Kelly, oh, there you go. <laughs> That'll be the fourth book. Uh, yeah. Fantasy? That's the road to the cash. Yeah, fantasy. Exactly. Fantasy hobbits in the L.A. Garden. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a, 
the the book is going to be fun and it's going to be centered it's chronological in order of how things grow here in los angeles oh nice yeah wow so the story follows the seasons of the southern california gardening year yeah Wow, there's a cool season. Wow, okay. Well, we'll let yeah. people read it. We won't spoil when it, it. When it's, I'm sending it back to an editor at the end oh, of this month. Nice. And, and then hopefully it will be good enough to start pitching to agents and publishers yeah. and whatnot. Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Christy. Thank you. That was Christy Wilhelmy. You can find her website at gardennerd.com. On that website, you can find her podcast, books, and YouTube channel. To leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcasts automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. Thank you again to our many supporters. Our closing music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 